Hi guys and uh, welcome to uh, the first lounge. Uh, not live, but uh, if you could see us, we're um, I'm in a, enjoying a glorious sunny afternoon. Uh, Will is in uh, Reims, France. We'll come on to that in a minute. Uh, and I'm not quite sure where Paul is, but it looks very comfortable. Stevie, um, <laughs> thanks for inviting us on the hottest day of the year, Thanks for yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. And I, and I suppose the, the other double whammy is it's not ideal coffee drinking weather either. I don't know. I, I quite enjoy a hot cup of coffee on a on a hot day. I think yeah, yeah. get to the right level and it's, it's going to be perfect. But you can't no, I it. good. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Without further ado, if uh, if you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves, uh, maybe let's go with you first, Paul. Okay, so I'm Paul. Um, I'm uh, CEO of Pat Coffee, and I've been with the business since uh, 2017. Um, the business was launched back in 2012 by our founder, Stephen Rappaport. So that's who I am. I'm Will Corby. I'm head of coffee for Packed Coffee, which might sound like a bit of an audacious job title, but... Um, my role is to look after our coffee supply chain right the way from farms and finding potential farms to produce the world's best coffee through export, shipping, import, uh, roastery operation and getting it out to customers. So um, kind of everything uh, that we touch to do with coffee, which involves most of the coffee supply chain. Fantastic. OK, well, let's uh, let's kick this off. Um... In an incredibly uh, crowded marketplace that you operate in, you know, Pact is a company with um, a profound sense of mission, really comes across strongly, uh, stretching far beyond traditional uh, commercial targets. Um, Paul, perhaps you could tell us uh, about what Pact actually does, uh, your mission, um, and why it's so important. And, and if I might just add, you know, why does your tag coffee without compromise uh, have so much meaning. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, so, yeah, what, what's Pat Coffee all about? Pat Coffee's, um, uh, when Stephen set up Pat Coffee in 2012, it was all about um, the mission was making coffee a force for good, but, you know, what was the proposition going to be? And it was um, very much making sure the world-class coffee um, sourced directly um from from uh um origin from from the farmers that we buy from um would be delivered to the doors of consumers freshly roasted you know this was very much uh, a new concept at the time and um you know really really uh important but coupled with that <clears throat> and you mentioned the sense of purpose um it was very much about um um giving our customers the knowledge that um a, each of our farmers have been properly paid for the beans that we purchased um and that they um most importantly had received a fair price so um and um it's you know essential from from that perspective and it's really it's it's become very much our mission so to do um, in terms of what does coffee without compromise mean, it's, um, it, it, it relates fundamentally to the three key pillars of our proposition. So we talk about three things with our proposition. Firstly, we talk about quality. Secondly, we talk about ethics. And thirdly, we talk about flexibility. 
So when we say quality, um, every single one of our coffees is of speciality grade coffee, a minimum of 82 points out of 100, okay? Um, in terms of ethics, um, we've made this promise for many a year now, and we, we have no plans to deviate from this, that we will always pay farmers a minimum of 25% above fair trade rates. So fair trade is good, it's a start, but it's not enough. And fundamentally, we believe that our starting point should be 25% uh, above, and we will pay right up to double the level of uh, fair trade rates um, if the coffee is worth it. So we, we pay according to how well the coffee is worth it. Well, I'm sure you want to add to that. I was just going to say, we also publish that pricing every year. So since we've started buying coffee internally and we have full, full control over that, all of that pricing data is published within our um, corporate social responsibility report, which is available right up to date right now. Um, but it covers all of our buying practice, but also we literally list out those, those prices. Brilliant. And the third thing was uh, flexibility. Um, and Pat, I guess, was unique at the time because it was the first uh, entrant into, you know, Stephen was uh, passionate about making sure that you never ran out of the coffee you loved. And so um, he believed that the right way to do this was subscription. And today we have 54,000 subscribers, um, which has grown significantly during lockdown. Um, and fundamentally, people are on plans for the flexibility piece is we don't tie people into, you know, the, the control sits with the consumer. So you can pause your order, you can skip your order, you can cancel your order. Uh, you can change your coffee, you can change your frequency. And all the control is online at your hand, at your fingertips. So it's, you know, just to reiterate, it's quality, the very best coffee in the world. It's ethics, direct trade is the right way to go about business. And it's flexibility, which is... Um, Fundamentally, the, the control sits with our customer. Fantastic. And um, uh, you, you referenced there, Paul, that um, the business was founded by Stephen in 2012. And I know you came in as CEO in 2017, I believe. Um, and I also understand that when you came into the business, uh, you know, you encountered a number of challenges, for example. Uh, um, and I wondered what attracted you to pack coffee in the first place. Um, what were those challenges that you were facing um, and how did you set out overcoming them? Okay, so um, what attracted me to pack coffee was you know, literally walked in the door, my interview, and you could just feel, you could feel the energy, you could feel the excitement in this business. And you know, it was at 3.30 on a Monday afternoon, it wasn't a particularly special time, but you could feel that energy and the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I'm very much, you know, I had probably six interviews um, and um, at all stages I could feel that sense of purpose, you know, right from, and I met people at all levels, you know, I met the, you know, members of the board a couple of times and I met members of the team and I could feel that sense of purpose and how important um, that cut right through the organisation, everyone believed in making coffee force for good. Um, so, so that's really what attracted me. I thought it was a great proposition. I felt we had an excellent opportunity for which to grow. You mentioned the challenges. So um, it's, it's pretty well documented. Pat launched in 2012, um, grew 
rapidly until 2016 and then hit its first difficult times. Um, we, were, we were definitely overextending ourselves um, and we were probably a little bit over-reliant on, on paid social channels. So that was putting pressure on the coffers. Um, and fundamentally, at that point, there was a danger that the money would run out. Okay, so my job was to come in and make sure, I guess, two things. Turn the financial performance around, make the organization profitable, but also pivot the business, not away from consumer, but on top of to make it multi-channel and pivot the business into a B2B offering, which we were able to do successfully uh, in 2017. So I've been lucky enough that since since we've been there, the business has been profitable. It's been so solvent. We've just celebrated 32 months of profitability. Um, and um, also, we up, up until about three months ago, we had an amazing B2B business that was growing rapidly. And all the, <laughs> uh, I, I call it in hibernation. It's in hibernation now during the, uh, the, uh, the sort of semi-lockdown position we find ourselves in today. Fantastic. Um, uh, another point, and, and maybe th this one's initially for you, for you, Will. But um, before you, before I ask the question, and, and you get a chance to answer it, I, I'd, I'd love our listeners and viewers to to get an understanding of uh, why you're in in France right now, and uh, <laughs> just <laughs> just the story of the last five months. Just I hope that question that. is for Will, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is for well. <laughs> um, so I'm very lucky that I've managed to get married on the last day of legal weddings before Boris shut everything down back in March. But unfortunately, that meant that our honeymoon was pulled underneath from underneath our feet at the last minute. So um, we've just managed to we just managed to come across to France just to have a couple of weeks escape uh, from the office. So, uh, you know, as you've probably heard, you know, we're all. Um, Packed. Everybody is fully engaged all the time. Um, as coronavirus kicked in, um, we, we had to be all hands on deck because, as a company, you know, we're supporting a team in the UK. Um, we're supporting customers who, more than ever, needed us, uh, needed the normality of having us in their lives, and new customers who wanted the normality of having specialty coffee back in their lives. But also, we have relationships with 200 farmers around the world. Um, who we needed to make sure we were looking after. So that meant moving forward lots of shipments so we could pay them for their coffee earlier and, and doing doing all kinds of things within our supply chain. So it just kind of meant all hands on deck and and, and kind of uh, kind of getting making sure that everything was ship shape. Uh, and now we're kind of into that position. It's, it's time for me just to, to duck off and have a couple of weeks honeymoon and um, placate my wife a little bit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Congratulations, firstly, and um, uh, congratulations, probably for this for this quote from uh, Emily Knott uh, from the Mail Online, and she says that your coffee is far superior to her regular cup of instant coffee. But I suppose that does beg the question: question, you know, why um, is the UK one of the biggest markets for instant coffee, and what makes yours quite so superior? It's a strange phenomenon. Um, the the UK coffee market never really developed with the European coffee market. So we didn't develop the beans and grand culture that we see across Europe, even though kind of coffee was being consumed in the UK in the 1600s. Um, actually, what we saw was, was very low consumption until you see the kind of 70s and 80s, where um, 
TV advertising came in, instant copy was pushed on us, but also TV advertising, it was actually much easier to make a cup of coffee during our break than it was a cup of tea. Um, and then actually, as you moved into the 80s and 90s, a new type of coffee culture started up in the US, which was then brought over here. So although we're part of Europe, actually a lot of our modern coffee culture is derived from US, especially from things like uh, the Central Perk Cafe and Friends. Um, and actually, when you begin looking at the, the coffee shop models at UK, you begin to realize they look a lot more American than they do European. Um, so it's it's been a really weird weird thing with this instant instant coffee consumption. We've got this history of it, and there are vast ways of the population who still drink instant coffee. But actually, when you begin bring, breaking those people down into various categories, what you find is there's an aging population that consume instant coffee. And actually, when you begin looking at the consumption within younger age groups, um, there's quite significantly lower consumption of instant coffee and actually real drive into to getting involved in specialty coffee. So we've got this really strange mix of kind of older categories at age groups where people almost exclusively are drinking instant coffee and then younger ones where they're almost exclusively drinking um, specialty beans grand. Um, and it's, it's we're moving through and we are in the midst of quite a great shift, which is um, great for a, a company like this, like us, uh, but also I think great for everyone that wants to drink a cup of coffee because, um, you know, it's, it's not a hard place to start with beating a cup of instant coffee. It's really not very tasty stuff. Um, but it, you, when we're able to put next to a cup of instant coffee, literally some of the world's best coffee, um, because we are able to source that because we have um customers who want to drink it and are willing to pay the not outrageous price for drinking it um it makes that job that much easier so yeah um instant coffee consumption in the uk is a very strange thing but i think we are going to see the back of it over the next few decades which is great news for us we will crack uh, absolutely and and um one of the things that when when uh, i was thinking about uh, chatting to you guys uh, I'm very interested in your brand. That, that's kind of my background. And uh, I, I appreciate that you've recently gone through a, a bit of a rebrand. And a couple of things really stood out to me in your brand. One was the sort of thumbnail coffee bean device with really strong sense of individuality and personalization. But then it was it was the word packed that really resonated with me. And and I just I, I'm 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 assuming and I may be wrong to that the pact is really between yourselves, uh, your growers, which are clearly really important to you and ultimately your consumers. Is that is that fair to say? And is that something that you're really going to build on in terms of uh, the name and the brand going forward? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Steve. The, the, there are three communities, really only, that we're caring about here. Uh, we care passionately about our team and, you know, we're a team of 60 at PAC now. Um, and obviously, very much our mission is making coffee a force for good and we're caring passionately around our 200 or so farmers um, that we're working with. Um, and now we have... 54,000 subscribers, uh, customers, um, and around about 100,000, up to 100,000 who buy on an ad hoc basis from us and and also uh, 
to 2,000 uh, business customers who buy from us. So um, we see ourselves as, we're, we're kind of like the pivot um, between the farmer and the, the consumer, the team at Pat brings it all together. And so the brand is the, the it's a mark, it's the promise, the thumbprint is the, is the, the promise that we make to one another that we will make coffee for us for good and, and, and um, do good um, effectively. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, re, we rebranded last year, but very much um, we have not changed our mission, vision and values and IOTA from the original ones that were put in place by Stephen back in 2012. So, the, you know, the branding looks different, but the story uh, remains uh, constant. Yeah, and, and and you know, I, I love uh, I love the colours that you've got running through it, um, and 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 the the personality and some of the language and uh, the lightness to, to some of it, and it's uh, it, I find it v- very engaging. I'm sure your consumers yeah. will uh, will as well. Um, I think. Just, sorry, I was just going to I was just going to say that that uh, there's a um, um, we want to set ourselves aside uh, from you know from the crowd. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, coffee companies brand themselves very black, velvety, that kind of look. Ours is more it's uh, it's more playful, it's more colourful, it's fun. And if you've seen our recent TV advert uh, that we've just been uh, showing through through June and July, um, we 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 love and we're passionate about speciality coffee, but we do we we are playful as well, and we do poke fun at ourselves and the industry just a little bit because i think it's important not to take ourselves too seriously yeah absolutely here here to that um i mean a a couple of things uh, that you mentioned will uh uh around the kind of almost scientific uh production methods that you have Uh, how do you manage to kind of um tally that with uh, making sure that your farmers earn the right level of income for their quality product. How do you, how do you manage the two and, and obviously bring into that equation the kind of the whole fair trade dynamic? So coffee production is, is you know, most of the farmers we work with have been working in coffee production for the past 20, 30, 40 years. And where, where they haven't, they've, been, they've grown up on mostly on farms and have learned about it all their lives. And um, a lot of what they know and learn is 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 taught and shared through look and feel and touch and taste, um, which are fantastic things. The human body is an amazing uh, tool, and you can you know measure the temperature changes in temperature very rapidly using your hands and taste uh, different changes in acidity using your tongues uh, tongue very quickly. But actually, to develop consistency and develop quality. Very basic, um, quite cheap tools that we're able to get our hands on and share. Um, and as part of our three-phase sourcing um, program, we are able to make small investments in scientific things, uh, scientific uh, objects or tools that allow um, allow cus- uh, allow farmers, even sorry, to very, most importantly, very easily track what they're doing and then learn from that tracking. So we have projects in Colombia where we put in place 
uh, flotation tanks that cost us $10 per farm to roll out. A traditional flotation tank on a coffee, coffee farm could cost um, $1,000, $2,000, $5,000. We installed on a number of farms we work with in, in Colombia and Honduras, very cheap uh, temperature and humidity meters within their drying beds and patios. Again, $10 a piece, but that investment allowed them to actually track the temperatures that they were drying their coffee at. And once you begin um, showing people these tools, um, you know, giving them the ability to actually track things and then giving them the idea of, of how they should be using that information, you can quite drastically change the quality of coffee they're producing. And then simply we link in the quality of coffee they produce to the, um, to the price we pay for the coffee. We incentivize the farmers to produce the best coffee possible on the planet. And when they produce it, we don't turn around and go, oh no, we've got a bit too much coffee. We reward them for it. We have um, a huge team here in the UK who are going out every day trying to help us to grow so we can buy more and more of that great coffee from them. So as we grow and as they continue to produce not just higher quality, but slightly increase their volumes of high quality coffee, um, we can buy more, more coffee from them. Um, so we've, we've, we've kind of built that scientific element in to, to, to gradually grow quality um, for years now. And we've got, as, as Paul said earlier on, hundreds of farmers we work with around the world now who are engaging with the tools we've created. And the, tool, the toolkits vary from, from one farm to the next, and that requires um, a lot of work. You know, I visit almost every single farm we work with every single year. Um, obviously, this year is an exception. It's going to make 2021 a pretty busy year, I think. Um, but getting out there and understanding what's happening on an individual farm and treating it as an individual farm rolling out toolkits that are applicable and are going to actually very efficiently change um, the, the quality of production. We're not going to go in and say, roll out these three toolkits if only one of them will create most of the difference, help them to, to increase their quality and then and then pay a, pay a price based on that. Um, and that, that model has led to things like the Colombian government asking us to help, um, wow, it's four years ago now, help them produce their new um, quality coffee competition, create a new scoring model for it. Um, and they've actually made me their head judge of it for the past five years. And going on into this year, um, we will be one of the only um, quality coffee competitions, I think the only um, coffee quality competition to run remotely around the world. And so we're currently Fantastic. in the run. But it's just thinking with the, the kind of savvy tech head on you know, I'm not originally from the tech side of the industry. You know, we've got some lots of people within the business who are though. And when you surround yourself with great people like that, um, you begin to think like that. And you know, the guy said to me in Colombia, I don't think we're gonna be able to do it this year. I said, No, we can we can do this, we can we can keep everything going. We just have to think differently. Um and you know, have have, have just keep going forward, yeah. Yeah, I I I, I love that. Um and that comes across really strongly and, and, and actually it picks up on something uh, you said uh, just off air, Paul, um, earlier that, you know, uh, along the lines of, you know, business with a big heart can do more good and be more powerful than a charity. I mean, that's extremely powerful. Um, how, how do you how do you justify that? If you like, how, how do you what do you mean by that? 
because it's a very powerful statement. So, first thing I'd just like to say that I'm not going to take the credit for that because it's, it's one of our vision statements um, and goes back to 2012. But having said that, I do absolutely believe it. So, let, let, me, let me put some context to it. So it's certainly not dismissing anything to do with the incredible work that charities do, but they, they absolutely do incredible work. But just to put some context, that we are, I would call us just a medium-sized business. We're around about 10 million revenues. Um, we will spend two million pounds on green coffee this year. Um, and when you factor in that we're paying, um, on average, maybe 50, well, 50% more on average um, than, um, than fair trade, okay, on average 50% more than fair trade, you can see the likely impact that's going to have in, in countries like Colombia, Rwanda, Honduras, Guatemala, Ethiopia. So that's what we mean. Now, to just, just put some, a, a little bit more substance behind that, Obviously, one of the th one of the areas that suffers in a, either a global recession or, dare I say, a pandemic, is charitable donations. Um, we know that for a fact. So, um, charities have massively suffered in the last few um, few weeks, whereas um, few months even. Um, whereas we know that um, an affordable luxury like coffee, um, it's it's market forces. It's demand led. And we're not relying on donations. And I can honestly say from the 60 incredible people that I work with, um, they've all got big hearts. And uh, we believe we can do more good than, um, than a charity. So I stand by the statement. Fantastic. Well, it's, it, it, it's very, very powerful. I've got a, I've got a great question from um, a colleague of mine, Jeremy, who, who asks, um, real growth in COVID obviously is, is pretty much unheard of. Um, so what are the three things you did that, that made the biggest difference? And then, then he asks a, a really interesting sub-question. And he says, for those of us who love coffee but are too old to cope with caffeine anymore, uh, how's the growth in decaf and no-caf coming along? Okay. So I'll answer the first one and then Will goes for the second, I think. Um, the three things that we had to make sure when we you picture lockdown um, in in March um, and the benefit of hindsight, you know, we, we, we didn't know lots of things. We didn't know whether we would be shut down as a business. We would, you know, our operation because we've got a pretty sophisticated operation down in Hazelmere, Surrey. So we honestly did not know whether we'd be locked out. <clears throat> so we flipped our business goals. Our business goals, you know, our commercial goals were all about growth so we can sell more, we can do more good with, with, with the farmers that we work with. But it all changed in mid-March. <clears throat> and it was we, we had three things, <laughs> funny enough, that we had to do. One was, um, one was just looking after the health uh, and hygiene and well-being of our people. So that involved additional sanitation measures and, and social distancing measures in the warehouse. Okay, so it was health and well-being. The second thing was simply to keep going. It became a priority more than anything else. Keep going. So be that from the from the operation itself, or saying to Will, I don't care. Will, let's go and get some more coffee because demand is going crazy at the moment. You know, I don't care what it uh, costs and supply chain costs. Let's go and get it. 
So it was keeping going was the second one. And then the conservation of cash, because we needed to make sure that we could um, that we could operate as a business. And as things happen, even though we lost our two million pound run rate on our B2B business, we saw a, an absolute spike that has maintained. We, we, we haven't lost those customers. They've stayed with us early through this time. But effectively, our consumer business doubled uh, in over three months. Um, so, yeah. They were, the, they were the three things that we did um, to make sure that we um, we were better set following COVID. And, and Will, with Zcash? Touch on Zcash, no cash. Oh, sorry, I just going to touch on the health and well-being. Um, you know, as, as, as we moved through, it became obvious that this was going to be more of a long-term thing. Um, the management team came up with some really great ideas for ensuring that the everybody within the company um, remained both really well connected in terms of day-to-day, but also engaged with each other, um, building building social um, stuff together. I think Paul will be able to list off the, all the things we've done, uh, that yeah. include... Yoga, wine tasting, quizzes. Um, <laughs> I'm sure lots of people have done them. Uh, an Everest speaker. Um, uh, and we've launched the coaching program. Yeah, lots and lots of stuff. The new coaching program to help with all 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 parts of um, people's lives, not just specific work coaching, but, but everything anybody could possibly need um, to help themselves, you know, get through this. And that's it's it, it's a it's an amazing company to work for, um, and, and to have been able to roll out those things during lockdown to ensure sure that you know everyone you know has that mental well-being still going has been really important to us all and, and and that's a really interesting thing you say that will i mean t- to the extent that do, do you think that the business is stronger now than it was five months ago for for all the wrong reasons if you like but for all the right reasons it is financially it's 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 um you know we feel a bit like we're the guilty survivors but financially it's stronger um and it, it pays testament to the fact that we're multi-channel because whilst we watch one set of revenues ever away, um, and it will come back, it's going to come back, um, we, um, we've absolutely exploded on the other side of the business. So it's an absolute endorsement to be, to be multi-channel. So yeah, from time to time, we do feel like the guilty survivors. But where our, our year-on-year growth as a business is uh, 60% of the moment. And then in terms wow, of the team, you know, we've been able to, and we've, you know, at very short notice, been able to change and we've remained dynamic, um, even across um, video conferencing and emails rather than being face to face. We've rolled out more new products. We're about to roll out a huge announcement next week, uh, once you guys still keep your eyes peeled for. Um, but we've done it all um, whilst sat at home at our kitchen um, tables much like Stephen was when he started the company. Um, and, and yeah, I think when we do eventually get back into that office together, we are going to be an even stronger team than we ever, than we ever were. Yeah, we're a bigger team. We're a much bigger team already. We've been hiring, which has been quite interesting. So. And, and, and I mustn't let Jeremy's point about the, the decaf and no-caf go, go unanswered. Yeah. So, Will, maybe you yeah. could just pick that one up. Exceptionally important question, this one. So... Um, I know from my previous years in the coffee industry as an, as an importer and retailer of green coffee to roasteries, um, decaf is where 
coffees tended to go to die. So um, <laughs> as an importer, if you had a green coffee and it wouldn't shift, you'd just send it off to decaffeination, it goes on your decaffeination list, and then that's what people buy because that's the option. And as soon as, soon as I joined Pact, I said, right, we're not buying decaf off anybody. We're not, you know, our decaf customers are as important as every other customer we have. Um, and our goal is to have the same range of taste and flavor profiles available on decaf um, as we do everything else. Now, um, we, we nowadays, we or since I've joined even, um, we have always arranged to have the same coffee that we buy for the rest of the website for everybody else to drink, decaffeinated um, ourselves. So we just send it off to decaffeination plants, bring it back. It is labor intensive. It does mean committing to a large volume of it, but it means that we can always guarantee that our decaf is of the highest quality and that it's really fresh. Um, so I can understand Jerry's concern because, you know, I've I've lived on the other side and I've seen what tends to get shipped out as decaf, and it's 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 a really sad part of the specialty coffee industry. Um, but what I can say is, um, jump onto the the pack website and do try out the decaf, and you should find you have a pretty great experience. Fantastic. And, and, and I suppose just you, you mentioned you've got some very exciting news coming up in, in, the, in the next uh, week or so. But if, if you were to kind of uh, look forward over the next 12 months, very difficult to do 12 months, even 24 months, what, what do you think will be the biggest changes to, to the industry? And perhaps more importantly, what are going to be the biggest changes to PACT itself? Um, I might do the PAT bit and then, uh, Will, you can do the industry bit. So for PAT, um, we're at a point now where um, we, we know our proposition is, um, is rock solid and that um, customers really like what we do. And it's really down to our, to our like I said, our ethics and, and the quality of the coffee. Um, so we're at the point now where we, we need to invest more in our brand. Um, so we started some of those investments um, during this period, actually. Like I said, you know, advertising on TV is the first time we've done it. Um, and that takes time to, 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 to build a brand and to, to really cut through. And we, um, we want to be the first real household name as a speciality coffee brand. Um, and I think we've got the opportunity to do that. So th that's where the investments are going to be. Um, we are already, um, we've just ordered a new roaster because we have outgrown our 70 kilo Loring roaster. So we will have two of them firing up from December. Um, so we can roast 20 tons a week from wow. September. So um, we will need to continue to invest in our operation because our, our rate of growth has really surpassed even our plans at, at the moment. But yeah, brand, um, marketing, um, because the more coffee we sell, the more happy farmers we have working with us. Well, <laughs> what about the industry? <laughs> well, the industry is in a strange position. Um... You know, again, looking back at all those market reports, you can quite easily um, see that the majority of specialty coffee consumed in the UK is traditionally consumed in coffee shops. Um, we've gone through a period where 
consumption of coffee in coffee shops has been almost zero for the past three, four months. Um, and a lot of UK specialty coffee roasters have been hurting because although they had tended to have a minimal presence online in terms of direct-to-consumer retail, um, generally um, for most of those roasters that would be less than 10%. So where, where we only recently launched a B2B offering um, recently in the knowledge that we had a great product and we wanted to share it into businesses, many of them have had products suitable for coffee shops, have had business models and buying structures set up um, that mean that they can buy large volumes of espresso to sell into coffee shops um, and small volumes of more boutique coffees and um, bought through expensive supply chains to sell online in a D2C way. Um, now we've seen that completely tipped on its head and, and you know, it's not going to notice to us that um, these roasters have tried to move into the, the marketplace, um, into, the, um, into the various marketing channels that we use. Um, but part of the reason that Pack was so um, was was so attractive to me when I joined um, years ago now was that there was a level of expertise in every part of the business. Um, this wasn't specifically a coffee company with coffee expertise, like trying to find its way. Um, we've always invested in the right expertise across every facet of what we need. Um, and I think for the, the rest of the specialty coffee industry to keep going, the, the, there's going to be a need to shift and an understanding into recruitment of people who can bring specialist skills into the industry. Um, and I think if that happens, uh, um, there are companies that will do well. And I think if those that don't quite catch on to it, you know, where we see, if we see a, a continued reduction in um, consumption of coffee outside of the household and an increase inside the household, there are going to be some roasters who drop by the wayside. So it's a, it's going to be a really interesting um, few years. Um, I hope I hope that um, many businesses can keep going, um, but I'm, I'm really excited about what, about what we can do. I think we're really well set up for it. Fantastic, and actually, that leads nicely onto uh, another another point, really, that you you raise about your your purpose and mission. And I just wonder how relevant that is and important it is to your recruitment. Um, you know, so for example, would uh, you shy away from recruiting someone that perhaps had worked at a big corporate uh, that contributed to the darker, less sustainable side of the industry? Um, I, I would imagine your purpose and mission are very very strong magnets to the right type of person. Um, how have you found that? Well, just just to uh, put your mind at ease, Steve, um, I'm from the boring and dull world of big corporate. So, um, <laughs> so it happens. Uh, so they, 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 they made the mistake there. Um, <laughs> but, but yes, um, our mission, our purpose makes recruitment actually um, unbelievably, I'm not going to say simple, but it makes it a lot easier. Um, our last two roles, now I know we're in um, COVID lockdown, but our last two roles, we've just advertised on our own channels and we've had over 400 applications for them. And wow. these were new creative roles. Um, so yeah, I think we're well known in the coffee industry. There's a lot of coffee lovers out there, but, but we, um, we, yeah. We see ourselves as very inclusive um, as, a, as an organization. Um, we are um, 
yeah, we were not prejudiced against corporate uh, corporate people. We would encourage because corporate corporate um, personnel do bring a, a skill set. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we would look at anything, but yeah, our, our role is to bring them in, um, and you know, clearly we're looking to people who continue to add and build on that culture. Um, and uh, then we're looking to develop them. And they don't need to be in the finished article. We're a young company. We do not need to be the finished article, but we recruit for attitude. And that's really, really important. Fantastic. And, and you, you know, both of you have, have spoken very eloquently about the good uh, that you've done for the communities that produce the coffee. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering whether um, all the good that you've done is focused just on those coffee communities or does it have a wider impact beyond just the coffee community? Well, it's probably so, so in terms of um, at origin, um, we have a focus on um, on making sure that the the economics of the way that we work at origin remains commercial. So we we try to ensure that we're always um, make, the funds are always moving towards the farmers, and are done and that happens in a in a in a way that's related to quality. Um, so almost everything we do is is related to that. Occasionally, um, and on these as on these various uh, visits I do to each of the farms we work with, and some of the things that crop up. So there's a strange thing in coffee. It's called cupping. You taste coffee. You um, it's, you call it cupping because you taste the coffee from a, a cup. And generally, if I'm tasting a coffee from a coffee cup and I'm about to visit a farm, I can probably work out what aspects of the farm I need to be paying close attention to during that visit to be able to get a good understanding of uh, uh, or, or leading them in terms of um, increasing quality. Now, one of the things I was actually saying to Paul recently is um you can never get to grips when you're cupping a coffee with the ethics and the attitude of what's happening on that farm you know i visit all the farms and we're, we're paying close attention we're ensuring that child labor is not being used um slave labor is not being used but then there's also things like equity um and there was a group of women we started working with in um in uh, Wheeler in Colombia a couple of years ago. And they had formed a, a, a women's producer call, group called Asuna Prisma, specifically for the reason um, that it meant that the husbands of those in those families would allow the women to leave the farms to go and socialize in the town together. Um, and having, so, having created that, I then managed to create the opportunity to go and meet them. And, we began to create uh, a, a kind of strategy for developing equity within their within their farms, and um, that over the past two three years has rolled out into us joining um, the partnership agenda equity globally um, and investing in that across the world, but also paying for those classes to be taught um, in in the to to the families within the region um, to to begin moving things on. Um, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the beginnings of moving things slightly further outside of coffee. Um, but also, you know, I think gender equity is, is so important. 
in something like coffee where we see on the farms that have the best gender equity, which also happen to be in Wheeler in Colombia. Um, we see Jose Ramon and Maria Cuellazos uh, married and working in perfect harmony, doing their respective roles within the home and within the business and, and sharing equitably within it. Um, but where we see that, we see farms that are doing much better. So um, we do move outside of kind of coffee science and looking at coffee, but always try to keep those investments um, within the communities. Um, somewhere else like Rwanda, that might move into uh, something like the Gorinka project, which we um, invested in late last year, uh, by which we bought 34 cows for families who um, live in the communities um, who supply us the coffee. Um, that project sounds like I'm an absolutely crazy man. Um, <laughs> it's about um, supplying- it's one of my favorites, by the way. I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Supplying a stronger nutritional balance to, to the families within it and also a second source of income. And um, there's been plenty of studies done in East Africa that show that um, the, the, the ownership of how can quite drastically increase the um, the, the income, but also the, the future potential um, of a family. So we've, we've begun doing projects along those lines as well. Um, so generally always around the outskirts of, of, of what we're doing and always trying to push um, the mission forward and, and remain on track with coffee. Um, but you can see that kind of does touch um, on, on, on various different things. and. Every single farm is, is individual and every single solution has to be individual as well. Fantastic, great answer. Um, and uh, sadly, we're sort of running out of time. I can't believe how quickly the time's gone. Um, before before you both go, though, I, I, I'd just like to ask you, um, you know, for the Hub CP Lounge audience, um, if you were to choose one of your coffees, which would it be and how would you serve it? Paul, can, can you answer that first? Okay, um, this is nice and simple for me because I always, always say the same thing. So I'm at least consistent. I would, um, I would always recommend that um, first purchase would be Planalto, which is uh, from Brazil. Um, it's a nice, uh, it's a you know lovely chocolatey coffee, um, and I would serve that um, via a. Um, by a v60 which is a um we, we call it on the tv we call it the funnel thingy so i would do it that way <laughs> brilliant you get a longer answer from will <laughs> <laughs> okay will over to you I'm no no listen that. to me <laughs> as it was because it gave me some time to really dig deep there have a thing i feel like you've just asked me who my favorite child is um <laughs> I'm hoping that the farmers don't get to see this because otherwise they're going to be in huge amounts of trouble. Um, see, I love, I love all the coffees we buy. I mean, I'm, I'm exceptionally lucky to be able to to work with all these farms um, and also to be able to drink those coffees every single day. It is my my day starts every day by tasting the previous day's roasting, um, and although I don't get to do that every day during lockdown, we have still kept it up. So. Um, if we take it back to the wine model again, I'm waking up and getting to drink one of each of the best wines in the world. Are you still delaying? Get off the fence. Are you still delaying? You need to pick a favourite child. So all of the coffees are absolutely fantastic, but touching back on that um, that gender equity point, for me, um, 
for me, the, one of the copies that really um, shines through and it's available most of the year is from Think of Buenos Aires, which Paul visited with me um, a couple of years ago. Um, they, they really show what um, commitment to specialty coffee um, can deliver um, and also what working as a team can really deliver. Um, and the coffee is absolutely outstanding. We receive three different lots of each year. It's received once as a filter coffee, which we sell on our fruity floral line. Uh, we receive it once, it's, it comes in um, slightly different time of the year. It's slightly more chocolatey and refined, and then another lot that goes into our fruit and espresso. So you can get to enjoy it as both a V60 um, or as espresso. With a funnily thing. Yeah. With a funnily thing, yeah. And I've got to say, my regular coffee shop order is always a double espresso and a filter. So I would have to have both. Um, if I'm walking into your coffee shop, we're prepared to do lots of work um, because I like to test, you know, test people out on their espresso skills, but also get the enjoyment out of a long drink like a, a V60 from a funnily thing. Fantastic. Well, I'm definitely going to try the V60 funnily thing. Um, and, and, and it just brings me uh, to say, um, a huge thank you from uh, the Hub CP Lounge for uh, giving us a brilliant insight into PACT. And, and it sounds like it's going to be a really exciting uh, next 12, 24 months. And we can't wait to have an update on the story. Um, and I, I know you mentioned that you had something like 54,000 you know, subscribers. Uh, after this, that's going to go up and up and up. You've sold it beautifully. Uh, great story. Well told. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Will. It's been a Thanks pleasure. Thanks for having us on, Steve. It's been great. Thanks for having us on, Steve. It's been great. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah.